0: Brazil is such a large and diverse country that it's amazing that it's even a country at all. Distances between its northern and southern points are massive, and populations are often vastly ethnically and culturally different from one region to another. And Regional disparities are also huge. More than 40% of Brazilians live in the southeast, for example, which is also home to more than half of the country's GDP. And political leanings often run along regional lines as well. A glance at the 2022 election results plotted on a map of Brazil shows a clear pattern. By and large, the north and northeast elected current president Lula, while the southeast, south, and center-west went for the then incumbent Jair Bolsonaro. And that's the topic of today's episode: what separates Brazilians from each other, and what keeps them together. My name's Ewan Marshall, deputy editor of the Brazilian Report, and this is Explaining Brazil. If you like Explaining Brazil, you should subscribe to The Brazilian Report, the journalistic engine behind this podcast. We're an independent organisation funded by our subscribers, and you can help us stay independent and continue to produce award-winning journalism. And if you're already a subscriber, you can go the extra mile and join our Buy Me A Coffee fan page. And in return, you'll get exclusive perks like special newsletters and behind-the-scenes content, as well as a shout-out here on our podcast. And today i'd like to thank our Banya coffee members tom nolan marta martins pan Ludwig leslie seal caroline hubert mark hillary john thomas III, louise renz erwan menais orlando black steve knapp aaron berger james coney kars Vriesvik, alistair townsend peter abramson jim awofadeju michael fryer miller renacido David Dixon, Joseo Zistankovic, Emerging Market Muser, Jarden Iftach, Tonika Thompson, Anderson da Silva, Kat Kramer, Peter Suffren, Anna Lund, and someone who wishes to remain anonymous. And our Buy Me A Coffee members come from all over the world, so please, if we're butchering the pronunciation, do send us an email. And if you too believe in the importance of independent journalism, and if you want to hear your name on our podcast, go to buymeacoffee.com slash brazilianreport and subscribe to one of the membership levels. Click on buymeacoffee.com slash brazilianreport to learn more. This week, we're talking Brazilian separatism, or better yet, the lack of it. There are some examples of local pride taking precedence over national Brazilian sentiments. For example, when you go to watch a football match involving major southern clubs, Gremio or Internacional, you're likely to hear the Brazilian national anthem being booed before the crowd sings along obediently to the anthem of the state of Rio Grande do Sul. But on the whole, tensions between regions go no further than merely tension. However, a prominent right-wing politician by the name of Homeo zema has made headlines this week for declarations that several peers on the left and right considered offensive, xenophobic, and for some, separatist. To discuss that, I'm delighted to welcome back our Brazilian correspondent, Cede Silva. Hi Cede.
1: Uh, Hi Ewan, thank you for having me. So, Cede,
0: you're based in Brasilia, as I just said, but you originally hail from the state of Minas Gerais, where Homeo Zema is the governor. So tell us, what is it that he said that's gotten everyone so upset?
1: Well, Ian, you know, in this case, the thing that's interesting is that it's not much about what the governor said, and it's mostly about a misleading headline by the newspaper O Estado de São Paulo, which published the interview. Uh, The headline currently uh, reads that Governor Zema announced uh, this front or this group against the northeast of Brazil and that he wants the right united against the left wing. But the thing is, in the interview itself, Zema never uses the word against. So the word against, which is a very strong word, is used twice in the headline but the governor uh, never used it, at least on the interview that the newspaper published. So this is mostly a fabricated controversy that people are talking about what the headline says instead of paying attention to what the governor actually said in the interview. And Zema has since tweeted um, that he didn't mean um, to to make a fight against other regions of Brazil, and and so we're talking about a mostly a fabricated. Uh, polemic. Zema did say a a little substantial thing in that that he compared the different regions of Brazil to cows. And he he says an example about how um, a farmer cannot only uh, give good care to the cows that produce less milk, because if he does so, then the cows that produce a lot of milk uh, will not work anymore or will, or will not work as hard. So what he's telling is that the richer, more populous states, such as the state of Minas Gerais, Rio de Janeiro, and Sao Paulo, they also deserve good treatment from the union and from the federal government in opposition to the poorer states. But what people are mostly talking about is uh, stronger words that are in the headline, but do not correspond to what the governor said.
0: And just as a quick aside, you know, these declarations are all in the context of the tax reform process. So why have we got regions and states fighting with each other over this?
1: Yeah, as you've mentioned the tax reform, so our closer readers have also watched us uh, on video on a recent discussion about the tax reform. And there we explained that the tax reform that is currently in discussion in Congress uh, is mostly about power and not money because the objective of the tax reform currently is not reducing or changing how much taxes uh, people pay it's not about reducing the tax burden but it's about changing the rules. so the tax reform is mostly about power and not money and why are the governors so concerned about this? Uh, currently, governors in Brazil and the state governments the state governments they have a lot of power and leeway. Over the tax brackets for different products. So each state government gets to decide uh, how much is the tax for chocolate and for gasoline and for notebooks and so on and so forth. And when a company, either a foreign investor or a Brazilian company, wants to create a factory or wants to create a new business, um, the governors, uh, the governors, they will dispute over um, who gets this new factory and they can offer a different lower taxes for different business. The tax reform is going to change all this because under the tax reform, uh, each state government will be able to charge a single tax bracket for all businesses, mostly. So they cannot uh, anymore offer lower taxes for this or that business uh, with which they will have a political connection. Uh, So the governors are very concerned about the tax reformer in the first place because it's going to simplify taxes. And by simplifying taxes, this means that you're going to strip the governors of their power to charge different taxes for different products. So this is the first thing. The second thing is that the reform is going to create a federative council where the state governments are going to have uh, seats. And this council is going to decide on the rules of how the tax is going to be charged and distributed. Initially, the proposal was that each of the Brazilian states would have a single vote. So you have 27 states, that's uh, one vote for each. Governor Romeu Zema and the governors of the other Southern and southeastern states, which are in the minority politically, but are where more Brazilians live and it where uh, most of the Brazilian GDP is, they decided that they want that uh, they wanted voting power in this council uh, proportional to the population of their states. So this means that the richer, wealthier Brazilian states in the south and the southeast uh, will have veto power over the rules on this tax federative council. And this uh, discussion on tax reform and this discussion on how the state governments are going to have power over this council is what brought together the governors of the South and Southeastern states, which uh, hold a majority of the Brazilian population and a majority of Brazil's GDP. So going
0: back to Zema, you know, even if his words weren't necessarily combative or separatist, they were definitely divisive, you know, calling for the South and the Southeast to have what he calls political protagonism to go along with its economic influence. Is that, you know, some sort of joke? Because, I mean, in the last 60 odd years, Brazil has only had two or three presidents who weren't from the South or Southeast.
1: Yes, you're right on that. And I would count, as some people do, I would also count Lula as a Southeastern president, because uh, even though Lula famously uh, comes from a very poor, uh, underprivileged background in uh, in the Northeast, in the state of Pernambuco. Uh, Lula has always been politically uh, from uh, the Sao Paulo region as a union uh, laborer, as a leader of strikes in the 70s in the city of São Bernardo do Campo in the greater uh, Sao Paulo metropolitan area. And um, so in terms of presidents, uh, you do have uh, a very strong South, uh, Southeastern especially predominance uh, in the new Republic. Uh, one of the famous exceptions being Fernando Collor from the state of Alagoas, but who's uh, from the political elite. And he's also, um, he also spent a lot of his childhood in Brasilia with political connections and so on and so forth. So in presidents, uh, you're certainly correct uh, in that the Southeast is very predominant uh, Jair Bolsonaro himself, who is from the countryside of Sao Paulo, but politically made his career in Rio, uh, which also are both uh, states in the Southeast. Uh, but overall, if you if you uh, pay attention to not only the presidency, but other parts of the government, then it's more complicated and it's more diverse than that, uh, because you do have... Uh, a, a very strong predominance of Northeastern leaders uh, in the Senate, for example. Um, in 2021, we had the select committee on the pandemic uh, dominated by Omar Aziz from the state of Amazonas and Randolfi Rodriguez from the state of Amapá. There are a lot of political discussions uh, on, the, on the North and on, and on the Northeast. Uh, these states have been able to capture uh, a lot of investments uh, Petrobras, during the Lula and Dilma years, uh, made a lot of investments, uh, create, tried to create this refinery uh, in, in the Northeast as well. So, um, Odebrecht, which, which is now called NovoNor, uh, a company that fell in disgrace, a huge contractor, is a contractor famously from the state of Bahia. And, and so, uh, Brazil is more diverse politically. Uh, with people from every region getting a say. Uh, if you look also at cabinet ministers, cabinet ministers, they come from all regions. And so it's been more diverse uh, than just the Southeast.
0: And do you think Zema is kind of putting his foot in his mouth here? Or could this be planned, a planned strategy? Because a few years ago, we had another right-wing figure who was spouting you know, offensive statements to the press nonstop. And he ended up being president shortly after.
1: Yeah, um, Zema is, is, uh, is a man of that style. That's much on his style. He is a simple man. Um, he, 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 is not a complicated man. He's not an academic. Uh, he, he says things very bluntly. Uh, the, one of the main differences between him and Bolsonaro is that Zema does not carry a uh, that much uh, hate or that much um, agenda against minorities. He, he, he doesn't have that. He, he really doesn't care as much as Bolsonaro does. So he does, he, he does say things very bluntly. And again, if you look at the interview where he does not say that he wants an alliance against anything, against the left or against the Northeast, that's not what he's saying. He's just saying that uh, we, the governors in the South and the Southeast, we, the political elites in Brazil's wealthiest and most populous region, we should also unite to defend our interests just as much as the Northeastern elites have done so uh, for a long time. And 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 this, he is really uh, correct. Zema is also in the subtext of the fact that in 2026, there's going to be a presidential election, and he will be in the position or uh, he will not be able to run for a third term. He is constitutionally banned from doing so. So he is in his second consecutive term as governor. In 2026, he will be out of a job. So he is one of the people that is seeking to be the next Bolsonaro.
0: And how is Zema's relationship with Jair Bolsonaro and Bolsonarism as a concept?
1: Uh, Romeo Zema, in both 2018 and 2022, openly supported and declared his vote for Jair Bolsonaro on the runoff election. So in the first round, he declared supports for whoever is the candidate of his party, which is the Novo party, which is a libertarian right-wing party. Uh, but on the runoff, uh, once the Novo candidate is out, he then declared his support for Jair Bolsonaro. And he, he basically supported uh, Bolsonaro during the pandemic, during uh, Bolsonaro's term. Uh, the difference is he doesn't really buy into those specific uh, right-wing, extreme right-wing agendas uh, that Bolsonaro does. So Zema is not an opponent of the vaccine. He doesn't really care about quilombolas. He doesn't really care about... Um, uh, uh, homosexuals and gays and uh, the gay agenda in schools. He doesn't buy this this far right agendas. And he's mostly concerned with uh, privatization and the economy and the importance of the private sector and and, and so on and so forth. But the difference is uh, he is kind of a closeted uh, Bolsonarista. And now that Bolsonaro has been uh, banned from elections by the Superior Electoral Court, there is now a space where Zema is now more comfortable uh, in, in speaking of uh, the next step, the next thing, which uh, is something that he mostly remains silent while Bolsonaro was president and while Bolsonaro could still be a candidate. And now that Bolsonaro is out of the game, uh, romeo Zema is moving slowly to present himself as an alternative.
0: So, Sede, as we said at the start, this episode is, you know, nominally about Brazilian separatism. And, you know, it seems pretty clear that Omeu Zema has no desire to actually cleave the country in half. But his words have definitely fired up those small separatist circles that do exist in Brazil, uh, of which we have a couple of good examples. So, Cede, if you will, please tell our listeners what or who is Solito.
1: <laughs> so, Solito is the mascot of a very, very, very small, very extreme uh, separatist movement in southern Brazil. Uh, Southern Brazil consists of three states, uh, which are the states closer to Argentina and Uruguay. And so there is this movement which has been going on for a long time uh, called O Sul é meu país, the South is my country. Uh, But they are really not serious. They're not a political force. And I would compare them... Uh, mostly to flat earthers uh, in which, uh, just like flat earthers, these Sulito people, uh, they attract a lot of attention on the internet, especially because of jokes and people that don't take them seriously. And it's, it's, it's mostly about uh, trolls. You know, we, we're not sure if these people are serious. But I think even that um, these separatist movements, these things like solito, just like the flat earthers, Uh, It's more about the larger story in that uh, what these people say they're defending and what they they don't don't want to say explicitly. Um, In politics, we call this dog whistle because dog whistle is a whistle that um, people will blow on this whistle and uh, people can't hear it, but only the dogs can. And in extreme politics, especially in the far right, you've got a lot of these uh, dog whistles in that, for example, in the U.S., uh, people are going to say about they defend the state's rights. And it's not about state's rights. It's because they defend racism. And it's because they defend an idealized version of the old South. But since they don't want to say that they are racists, uh, they say state's rights. But it's a dog whistle. They say one thing, but they mean another thing. And in this, the stories about the separatist movements and Solito and so on, uh, they're not serious, they, they do not have actual political force, but the larger story that they don't want to admit and they want to say indirectly is that they consider that the Northeast is a backward region, that people in the Northeast are lazy, uh, that people from certain parts of Brazil are not as advanced or are not as smart as the people mostly of European descent uh, from the South and Southeastern regions. And so, so this is the danger of these movements is that they will have a ridiculous mascot and ridiculous demands and people are going to joke about them. But this is because, uh, there's an undercurrent beneath that movement of, of very racist, very extreme things. But, uh, they use different communication strategies, uh, to spread the agenda of a division uh, within Brazil.
0: And yeah, all or most of these examples of Brazilian separatist groups, they appear to be reactionary and most from the South as well. Sidi, have you heard of any independent Northeast movements?
1: Well, actually, there is. Uh, Brazil is a big country, so there are a lot of people saying different things. I did found that there is a researcher named Jacques-Israel Bemboim, who has written a book called Independent Northeast, and historically... Um, you did have in Brazil uh, a lot of separatist movements, uh, mostly in the 19th century, but also in the late 19th and until the early 20th century, when Brazil was already a republic, we had a lot of uh, pro-independent, a lot of separatist movements in Brazil. And these wars, the separatist wars uh, post-Brazilian, uh, 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 post-proclamation of the republic, Uh, These wars in Brazil in the late 19th and early 20th century actually killed more people than Brazil's independence war against the Portuguese in 1820-22. So we did have for a time um, a lot of attempts, a lot of political attempts with a lot of violence in different regions of Brazil, in the south, in the northeast, um, in in a lot of regions. We did have separatist movements, um, but they all failed. And
0: as we saw with the lampooning of Solito and those groups, separatism in Brazil largely seems to be treated with disdain and, frankly, ridicule. I mean, sorry to any of our separatist listeners. Why is that? I mean, what do you think is keeping this huge and vastly diverse country together?
1: Well, there's a lot of debate on that. There's a lot of debate on universities and people that study Brazilian history on that. Um, A a lot of them will, will tell you that one of the things that kept Brazil together... Uh, as opposed to the spanish colonies that uh, our neighbors uh, such as colombia venezuela etc um, for instance colombia venezuela and panama they used to be uh, a single colony a single big country and they are now three different countries why hasn't brazil broken up as as colombia did or as as the other spanish uh, the, the spanish colonies did a lot of people are going to say that this is uh, mainly because of the emperor because of Dom Pedro the um, when it was Dom Pedro himself um, who was the 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 heir to the to the Brazilian throne and to the Portuguese throne as well, uh, he himself declared independence. So since it was our own European monarch that was living in Brazil at the time um, that declared independence, this allowed the very strong monarchy uh, to keep Brazil together, to keep the whole of this a former Portuguese colony together as a single Brazilian empire. And, and so the, the monarchy of Don Pedro I and his son, Don Pedro II, uh, had a very strong power um, in keeping Brazil together as opposed to what happened with our Spanish colonies' and uh, neighbors. Uh, the second thing is, uh, we did have a lot of separatist wars um, along the 19th century and until the early 20th century very violent wars. For example, in, in Santa Catarina, uh, we had the, the Confederação do Equador. Um, you, you did have um, the uh, several separatist movements, uh, some of them with um, their own prophets, such as Antonio Conselheiro in the Canudos War. But the thing is, the, the federal government, first the empire, and then the early Brazilian republic, with a lot of violence, they thwarted the separatist movements and they politically failed. Uh, so we owe to um, military people and to the deaths of uh, a lot, a lot of people that die in violent wars in thwarting the separatist movements. Going on during the 20th century, then we had a very strong president, a dictator named Getúlio Vargas, um, who very famously in a ceremony, uh, he once burned... The flags of all the Brazilian states um, in, in in the message was that under this uh, proto fascist or fascist uh, government, Brazil was going to be a united with a united government, a federal uh, with a very strong federal government. And then you have also uh, culture and television bringing Brazil together. Uh, Brazil's soap operas, Brazil's television newscasts. Uh, Brazilian music, Brazilian uh, s- soccer or or, or football um, keeps a lot of Brazilians uh, together because Brazilians in faraway corners of the country, uh, they will follow uh, Flamengo or Corinthians or, or football. They will uh, listen to Brazilian songs produced uh, all over Brazil, including uh, country music and Bossa Nova and so on. And so television and radio and culture also uh, went on to play a huge role in keeping Brazil together nowadays to the point that today separatist movements in Brazil are exactly like uh, flat earthers. They are a fringe troll movement uh, that people make a lot of jokes about, uh, but that they can inspire um, a different conversation, a parallel conversation about Um, This prejudice is that people from a different region might not work as hard or might not be as talented or or as smart as people from the the elites in in a different uh, region. So this is the conversation that actually goes on. It's a conversation about prejudice. It's a conversation about disdain from people that have a different accent, Uh, but it's not actually a separatist uh, conversation.
0: Sidi, thanks a lot for your insight. It's always a pleasure to have you on.
1: Thank you, Iwan, for having me. See you next time.
0: If you like Explaining Brazil, please give us a five-star rating wherever you get your podcasts. It only takes a second and it will help us reach a wider audience. Or, better yet, subscribe to The Brazilian Report, the journalistic engine behind this podcast. We have a subscription-based business model and your memberships fuel our journalism and keep us going and growing. And thanks to our subscribers, we've been able to cover Brazil and Latin America extensively, and our work has won and been shortlisted for several international journalism awards. More recently, our newsletters won the best newsletter prize in the Americas from the World Association of Newspapers and News Publishers for a small or local newsroom. And in order to keep doing that work, we need your support. So go to subscribe. I'm Ewan Marshall. Thanks for listening, and Explaining Brazil we will be back next week.